Welcome to the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. Presented by Luke Sleet Says. I'm a mortal man, give me a break. Here are your hosts, Luke, Nigel, and Tanner. We're back for episode three of the podcast. Last time we left off on the show, Nigel was trying very hard to come up with an answer for the last question from the listeners asking which Seattle sports star was the biggest letdown in Seattle sports history. I think we all remember how his answer went. How about trying to think of something a little outside the box here. Um, Mm. Give me a second. I'm, I'm pondering this one. You're going to have to cut this, Tanner. Okay, give me two seconds. Um... What do you call in the business a tease? I can eat my ice cream right now. So I know you guys have been waiting all week to figure it out, figure out my big uh, letdown. And uh, I'm going to go with, uh, this is a shout out to, to uh, my guy Mike Bate, if you're listening out there. My number one letdown in Seattle sports history is, drumroll, Nelson Valdez. Any of you Sounders fans? Good pick. You should should be pretty aware of this guy. He was a big signing for the Sounders. Um, I believe he came in in 2015. Um, He had a bunch of international experience, um, played at a bunch of clubs in Germany and Spain, and everyone was really excited about him. Striker. Goal scorer. Fucking suck. <laughs> and, uh, you know, his big contribution to the Sounders was a whopping, I believe he had four total goals in his time, two or three of those coming in the first, like, half season that the Sounders signed him. And then they they were all excited about it. They re-signed him for a full season in 2016, I believe was the year, where he uh, proceeded to make 30 appearances and only one goal uh, throughout the entire season. Something like that. So uh, Nelson Valdez is my is my major letdown. Although I will say his one goal was during during the MLS playoffs it was a pretty pretty spicy one that uh, went in and got pushed the Sounders into either the semifinals. I think it was into the semifinals and inevitably got them to their first championship in the MLS. So he does have one bright spot in his career, but overall the guy was a letdown. I listened to my brother and uh, Mike tell me on and on about how he was going to be the greatest, greatest thing since sliced bread for the Sounders, and he was a bum. So um, that's my that's my uh, ultimate letdown in Seattle sports. It's a little outside the box, not one of the big sports or big the big two in Seattle, but still a fun one there. So I think there's some good parallels too, honestly, with with him and. And the Percy Harvin one that I had before, just because like up until they joined the respective Seattle team, like they did have a resume that was worthwhile. Except it it was a good thought when he got him that he was going to come in and score a bunch of goals. Yeah, I mean he'd scored internationally. Right, like he had a goals. He had a proven record. Yeah, he was. He's like one of the best. Is he? Where is he from? I think he's from like Uruguay or Paraguay. Paraguay, I think, is where he's. Where he's from, he's like one of the all-time goal scorers in that country. But he came—he came in with a lot of proven success, yeah. and then he really just fell flat. And 
I don't know, maybe someone could humble me on this, but yeah, he kind of came to Seattle, fizzled out, and I don't think he really recaptured any of that hype that he ever had pre-Sounders tenure, you know. So kind of similar to Harvin, except Harvin was obviously had a lot more higher expectations, but he definitely high expectations coming in, fell flat, and then basically fell off the face of the earth after his stint with the with the Sounders. You know, there's been other players in the Sounders that have had middling success that, that have gone to other MLS clubs and continue to have middling or better success. And he definitely wasn't one of those guys. He basically, like, once his time with the Sounders was done, I think he was playing in lower leagues and didn't really do a whole lot. So Yeah, I don't think he was going going anywhere important after that. Really pulling a name out of the hat, but that is a good one. Yeah. That is a good one. Thank you. It only took you seven days to come up with it. So. Uh, I came up. I came up with that immediately after we cut off, and uh, I think we were all pretty, pretty gassed at the oh, end of that oh, last session. The lunch so, whistle blew. Yes, exactly. I was uh, past the buzzer, but that was going to be a, a, a buzzer beater winner. All right. I'm going to throw in my two cents on this. I didn't answer last week, but. I still think Jamal Adams has the potential to be the worst letdown for Seattle sports stars just for like, obviously the guy has talent, but he's been injured throughout the entire time that we've had him, but it costs so much for the Seahawks to get him. It costed a 2021 first round pick. And then it went into the 2022 first round pick as well. And there was a third round pick thrown in there. And if the Seahawks wouldn't have made that trade with the Broncos, they would have went two consecutive years without a first round pick which obviously has an impact. And on top of it, we went and signed him for a longer term deal. I mean, if the guy never actually plays, if he ends up being, you know, gets hurt next season, which we hope he doesn't, which is the last year of his deal, right? Um, I think he actually has another year after that. Another year after that. Yeah. So, I mean, let's say he has two more years of just consistently getting hurt and never playing out a full season. It's one of those things. The Seahawks gave up a lot to get him. There's a lot of talent there, and there's still a to-be-determined on that one, but I think that's one of those that could end up being one of the bigger letdowns. I was also going to throw in Jimmy Graham's another big one, too. Gave up your star center and a first-round pick to get a tight end that was known to be more of a wide receiver role. Like He was a pass-catching tight end that we tried to convert into a blocking tight end and a run-first scheme. Didn't make a lot of sense. We were excited at the time, but I think hindsight – it's 2020 and it shows that Jimmy Graham was also a pretty big letdown for what we were expecting to get out of him. Yeah. I think Jimmy Graham, because it's already, it's official that it's happened. Jimmy Graham is one of the bigger letdowns. I don't know how I didn't come up with that right off the, right off the bat last week, but it it goes against everything that Pete Carroll has said that he, you know, said he's, anyone says that Pete Carroll does well, like putting guys in positions to succeed. And with Jimmy Graham, you kind of did the exact opposite of that. It's like the guy's good at one at catching balls and being a receiver, and you tried to turn him into a tight, a blocking tight end that's coming coming from the inside. You know, hand in the dirt, just never who he was going to be. So I I don't know why they had so many examples of dudes during those years, like 2013, 14, where they had guys that were good at one thing, and Pete and Pete and John would put them in the position to do that one thing well. And then you just try to you outsmart yourself a little bit there. So I definitely think that's a good one. Jimmy, or I mean, uh, 
Uh, Jamal Adams. Can I weigh, can I weigh yeah. in on Jimmy Graham? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Because I don't think he was as big of a letdown as maybe you're saying. Because he definitely was a letdown. Like, there's no bones about that. But, A, I totally agree. Is it like, I think I think it was a letdown by John Schneider and Pete Carroll because they kind of went against their philosophy. So, like, that part is a letdown. We, I won't go too far down the rabbit hole of Russell Wilson in general, but it's like, you try to get a guy a, a a weapon. You try to get a weapon for Russell Wilson, and this weapon was just never going to really materialize for a guy like Russell because he, as we talked about before, and as he showed, was just like Jimmy Graham is kind of like a high volume target guy over the middle, checkdowns, stuff like that, and like that's literally the worst aspect of Russell's throw. Like like Russell likes to throw it deep. So as a six seven, two hundred and seventy pound tight end. The type of guy that's going to be a downfield, like deep ball, play action, deep ball throw guy. Like, not really, like, that's not really his, that's, that's not Jimmy Grant's playing style. But, like, I'm looking at his numbers right now and, like, they're not that great. And his first year was really bad. And I think that's what most of us remember best. Is he, he, really he did get touchdowns though at this his, later his in his second career. year. His second year of Seattle, yeah, Seattle he did not have 920 yards and six touchdowns. Better than yards by tight end, but a team that doesn't really, really throw the ball like that aggressively. It's not that bad. It's bad for Jimmy Graham because before that, like he had multiple thousand yard seasons, but that is like the fourth highest receiving total in a season for him. He, he and then the next year he had ten touchdowns. So like he, that's just kind of the problem is that he did turn into like he had some presence in the red zone near the goal line for Russ to throw up some balls to him. Was it worth the trade to get a guy who could do that? No, absolutely not. But like I don't know. I don't know that Jimmy was the letdown. I just think the Seahawks were a letdown. So I don't know that it's like I don't know that he let us down. I think we let him down more. So, like, I think it's a little bit of both. That, like, I wouldn't call him the biggest, like, letdown as an acquisition in Seattle sports because, honestly, like, we hurt his career more than he hurt the Seahawks. He he also, though, he would, and I see some of this in DK in the last couple of years, which is a little scary, is he, he just tried to do too much sometimes. It's like, yeah. a couple of, there's a couple of games that I remember going down the stretch there where it's like, he gets he gets the catch fourth quarter we're driving you know last last couple of minutes and then he tries to stretch out an extra couple of yards and fumbles it or tries to jump over a guy and get and gets flipped over and fumbles it and DK's done that a couple of times I mean, one of them against the Ravens when we were there a couple of years ago and you fumble the ball they they take it take it for a touchdown. I only have him with two fumbles in his career as a Seahawks. Really? Okay, I feel like that was. I feel like he was having a few of those, or I guess maybe just not catching it in those big moments too. There was yeah, it's the slant, and it's like hits him right in the hands, and he misses. Like, but... Yeah, exactly. Just I feel like he had a couple of like letdown moments when the game was on the line. That and DK's definitely had a few of those kind of things going on too. It seems like they're DK's following in those footsteps. To get back to Jamal Adams, though, I think everyone's quick to forget that. That first half of the first season that he was with us, that guy was the best player on the Seahawks by far. They don't come anywhere close to winning those. I think they won what six or seven games in the first half of the season, and the he is the sole reason that we did because our defense was absolutely trash, and he was making every single play. And then he hurts himself, you know, halfway through. 
defense struggles for three or four or five weeks after that because he was the only one making plays, and then you end up you end up crawling. Do we even make we didn't make the playoffs that year? Okay, twelve and four record without having Jamal Adams the first half of the year. Now last year is obviously a major letdown with Jamal, like playing playing one snap or five snaps, nearly sacks Russell, and then tears his whatever. But I do think that if he stays healthy, the guy is an impact player for sure. Well, that's why I said there's the potential of being the biggest letdown. The guy obviously yeah. has talent. I love Jamal Adams. I want him to succeed. I want him to come out on top of this. But it's just – it's with any player. Like, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you can't keep yourself in the game – and obviously he doesn't have control of that – but if you can't stay in the game and play, you're essentially – you have no value. True. And yeah. so I think it's one of those that I'm saying it's a TBD to see what happens. It yeah. could be one of the worst just for the fact that we never got to use him. When yeah. we do get to use him, the guy's great. I mean, even like I said, like he tore his hamstring or whatever, basically about to sack Russell Wilson in the first game. Yeah. So yeah, you were excited about the prospect that it's like, all right, looks like looks like he's back on track. He's gonna figure it out, and then yeah, he gets hurt. And that's why I'd say like more generally speaking is that this is just how I view it, is that when you're talking about, like, busts or letdowns, I don't know that you could penalize a guy for injury. You know, like, the guy's a bust in the draft because he was never healthy and he couldn't play. I tend to give him a little bit more of a pass versus somebody who played, you know what they are, and they're horrible. So, like, that's where I give him a... They said, there's still time for him to prove, but in general, like, the one time he's actually played... You know, I think if I transport myself back to that year, is it like you kind of thought that the Seahawks might actually be Super Bowl contenders that year? Because that's the same year, if I remember correctly, that they got Carlos Dunlap late in the season because Jamal Adams was our the only guy who could get a sack on our team for basically the entire season. We went and got Carlos Dunlap. He got a bunch of sacks towards the back end of the season. Yeah, it yeah. went from being a team that was almost worse in the NFL, or like one of the worst teams in the NFL in total sacks. To being like top 10 by the end of the year. And part of that was Jamal Adams kind of like treading water for the team for the first half. First half. And then you got Carlos Dunlap and a couple other guys figured some things out. But you win it, you won the division, you went 12 and 4. And if you remember, not the poor acquisition, but that's that season ended when, as far as I remember seeing it, DK was getting, I think it was DK's rookie year, getting upset that he wasn't getting any targets because Jalen Ramsey was guarding him. So they drove a screen pass for him and it went pick six and that was the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah. The uh the biggest the biggest ability is availability. Yeah. And that's that's always been true in football. If you if you play if you can play the full season, that, that's gonna be your your biggest impact for the most part. Being being on the team and being available. So he certainly hasn't proven that at this point for the Seahawks, but I'm still hopeful that he will. So, Nigel, with your original point that you were talking about earlier with the Sounders, you were talking about the big two sports, which is football and baseball, I'm assuming. Yeah. Does soccer ever have the potential to be a part of a big three in Seattle? I think it's, I think it's already kind of getting, getting there at this point, at least over in my mind. You go to a Sounders game, most, most of those games are – Sounders match. Sorry, Sounders match. Uh, most of those games have have you know thirty plus thousand people there. There people show up. There's a big contingent of soccer fans, and it's growing in general. Every year, there's more and more more and more viewers in the MLS 
the the league itself is growing every single year. It seems like now they're adding new teams, you know. So I think I think soccer is definitely making a big push in U.S. sports, and I think it's I think it's long been a the number three in Seattle. It's just not a major sport yet in the U.S. Well, it's number three because there's no NBA team. Well, that's true. The, yeah, and I think the I think the Kraken also like NHL is pretty large in general. I just don't know it as well. I've known soccer for a long time, but I still, so maybe the Kraken is, because we have a team now, maybe that would be the number three and Sounders would be number four, but I'd say that's kind of a toss-up in my mind. So with that said, to my understanding, I don't know anything about soccer, so it sounds like Sounders season is starting to, it's starting up, right? It's this weekend is the first match? Yep, this Sunday is the first match. Sunday will be the first match, so by the time this is posted... They'll already had their first game under their belt. So why don't you guys just teach me soccer right now? Let's uh, give it, draw it out for me. Tell me what to expect for this uh, upcoming season. What do you guys see? Well, I think not going to be all. We're not going to go into X's and O's, especially because uh, you know, outside of my one year playing JV soccer in high school, my X's and O's are pretty limited. I think the thing that we should rip on is start. I'll educate you a little bit, a little recap of what the Sounders have done and what they did last year. And Nigel can chime in at any moment that he feels. You know, ever since the Sounders have come in, they've been a super competitive club. We kind of say with Jess about uh, Nelson Valdez being a horrible acquisition. But it does speak to the fact that the Sounders typically have been pretty aggressive on the transfer market. And, you know, he might have fizzled out, and that's why he's getting roasted. But... He did have international cachet, and he was a big signing at the time. The Sounders have always been good about that. And that kind of culminated last year when they ended up going to the CompuCab Club final, and then they won it. Yeah. Which, no, like, for context, no MLS club has ever won that. And really hasn't even been close, yeah. as far as I understand. I'm not going to claim that I've watched every CompuCab Final, but and for anyone who doesn't know what CONCACAF is, CONCACAF is all of the all of the Americas, basically um, all the best soccer teams in all the Amer- North and South America. So you have all the MLS clubs, you have all the Mexican clubs, and then you have all the best clubs in all of South America. And they compete in a big tournament every single every single year. And so it's always been it's generally a Mexican team that's that has won guessing that there's been others along the way, but I know it's primarily Liga MX that that produces the winners. And no ML, MLS teams have made it to the final, but no one's ever won it until last year. The Sounders won. And so you have... And we were at that game. And we were at that game, and it was... It was awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was you know one of the better sports moments I've ever been a part of. And you have CenturyLink Field is... Uh, the clink is... Or Lumen Field, I guess, now is at capacity. People are going crazy. The Sounders scored, you know, scored and went ahead early enough that it was kind of just a party at the end. It was a blast. But um, so when you when that happens, you kind of have these really high expectations for for the rest of the season because the way the tournament falls, it kind of starts at the beginning of the season, and so you have a lot of times the teams aren't necessarily warmed up yet, which has kind of been I think one of the critiques in the past is that the MLS is season is off from the rest of the rest of the world leagues and so for starting at the beginning of the mls season and so mls teams aren't usually you know warmed up and playing at their best by the time the the concacaf tournament comes around and so 
Sounders, though, they go out, they win it, they start out the season really well, and you really have high expectations. And then for the first time in club history, they don't make the playoffs. A lot of questions going on there. And they 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 suffered some injuries. They In that championship game, they lost one of their best midfield players for the season. Probably one of the best. Yeah, one of the best. Mid- yeah, definitely yeah. an all-star. And, you know, I think definitely made a bunch of starting 11 type squads, Jao Paulo. Yeah. That's a big loss. Yeah. Obviously, and, but injuries are a part of sports. You gotta you gotta be able to work around the guy getting hurt. Yeah, you gotta step up. And and they were able to do a little bit of that, but I think at the end of the day it was just a lot of injuries and and guys just not really playing their best. And you you had Rui Diaz hurt, you had Roldan hurt, and just guys not really clicking at the end of the season. So now we come into this year, and Sounders have made minimal signings. <laughs> they, I say, honestly, honestly, I think it resembles a lot of what we kind of think about the Mariners as well. Yeah. This is like, yeah. they had a very lukewarm offseason by, I think, I would call myself an average Sounders fan. You know, maybe somebody who follows the club a lot more could definitely school me on what they did or did not do. Like, they did re-sign Jordan Morris. They re-signed Christian Roldan, and we love those guys. But you didn't really add to the club at all. You did add Rusnak last year, who is probably one of the better players, at least at his position, in Major League Soccer. Although I don't know that he looked like that last year. And maybe part of that is just because the, yeah, the team between injuries and stuff was a little out of sorts so you know you're asking them to kind of play a different role than what you would typically want but see a lot of parallels to the Mariners just in the sense that Nigel referenced Raul Rui Diaz that like that kind of just chopped up the same like I said before it's like if you take Julio Rodriguez out of the lineup do they have enough firepower to really be a contender and I'd say that's what you saw last year with the Sounders is that Rui Diaz Basically, their only true goal scorer missed a lot of time. They're usually pretty sound defensively. Like, obviously, Stephen Fry is one of the better goalies in the MLS. They have, like, Yamar is a great defender. They have pieces. Roldan, they have pieces on the defensive end. But if you don't have somebody at the top of your lineup, basically, it's going to provide firepower. Like, you could fall to the back or middle of the pack. It's tough to climb out of that, especially, like, in a season where you're dealing with injuries. So. I don't know, I'd be a little worried for the Sounders that, like, if everybody's healthy and everything's going well, they're going to be one of the best teams. But all it takes is one critical injury. Rui Diaz, Xiao Paulo maybe misses more time. Ladero misses time. Like, who's going to who's gonna step up and fill that gap for the team? Because I, I just don't know that they have those guys. There's definitely some questions about that. If they're at the top, the top end of the, the pitch, uh, you've got – if Rui Diaz goes down, your goal scoring just takes a dramatic hit. And I think that that's, you know, I think we, you and I have been talking about this for a long time, Luke, but it's like they really need to find some uh, South American uh, winger that's young that's going to be a guy that brings some brings some action up. Like Leo Chu. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Leo Chu. Uh, no, not quite. That guy hasn't done anything yet either. But I, I think that they got to – they got to find find something there because Jordan Morris loved the guy. Hopefully, he's a sounder for life. But 
He just he just doesn't bring bring the uh, the goal scoring. Know who he is, yeah, exactly. He has he has one foot, and he you know he's good for 10, 10, 12 goals a year, but I don't think he's good for much more than that. And so I think they got to figure out something else on the on the wing. Roldan Roldan has looked good at times on that wing, but that's not his best position. He, he's bet he's much better suited playing more of a defensive role. I think last year or the last year and a half, I think that they've kind of pushed him up the field a little bit because that was going to be his best chance to get on the the World Cup team, which he did, and you know show that he could be offensive and defensive, and so made him versatile. Now that now that you don't really need that, I think you got to find someone on the wing. And then besides that, I mean, the defense I think love Yamar, but they've got they've got some holes there as well that I think they got to fill. Knew who's the man. Everyone big new yeah, yeah, this we we are uh new who stands here. You know, he's another one. He he's a little touchy sometimes. He gets hurt and they don't really have anyone that can replace re, replace him except Kellen Rowe, who's very middling. And so I don't middling by MLS standards. Yeah, middling by MLS standards, yeah. So yeah, I thought I thought knew who was gonna be a guy for sure that was gonna find a new club come transfer window time because not because we want to see him go, but because he might give you the financial freedom to go acquire some of these positions. Because you do have, like, especially in the MLS, like, you have guys that can play right back for you. Like, Alex, Alex Roldan's a great example of that. Guy who came from nowhere, and, like, honestly, he's a pretty good player yeah. for the Sounders. Yeah, he's You can fill that nice. position, but who has that more international appeal, especially because of his pace. Yeah. they like, trade them in for some money and go use that to go buy a couple players that might better suit other positions on your club than like, yeah, I thought he was going to go. Yeah. I'm glad he's back because I love watching him play. And he but, finally got his first goal last year, which was, which was big. Yeah, but, he broke the seal. Yeah, broke the seal. Hopefully it'll, it'll mean more are coming. I feel good. I feel great. I feel wonderful. So, Luke, I know the other day that you were uh, sending me on the old Instagram the uh, the Sounders kit. Is that what we call it? Kit. It is called a kit. Tell me about it. What, what's so What's so hot about this uh, new 2023 kit for the Sounders? The Bruce Lee one. I mean, not really. I've kind of talked about this more generally speaking. Is that uh, to kind of follow up on the whole soccer conversation? Is that interesting because? also like we talked about with the Mariners, is that soccer seems to have a culture with their alternative jerseys, which I kind of like. It's a little tough at times, but I generally like that like they have their primary colors, they have their home and away. And then a lot of times their alternates are like, they just come out of nowhere. Like the colors do not match their standard logo colors, which I think is kind of fun, you know? So now you have this Bruce Lee jersey, which I think is really cool. And And it's also like, it's relevant to the area, of course. You know, it's like, it's Seattle relevant. You know, it has nothing to do with our color scheme or the Sounders color scheme, but it's it's still relevant to, to yeah, Seattle culture, like that, which is awesome. I don't think it's a coincidence that 
you know, the MLS is out there having fun with the jerseys and, and the kids, the kids like the jerseys and it's a uh, youthful and it just so happens to be the fastest growing sport in the U S and meanwhile, baseball's out here uh, taking the stuff away and struggling to grow and trying to find ways to stay relevant. And so, you know, I think that the MLS is, is doing something right there by letting, letting teams, you know, kind of have their own fun there. So which is better? The uh, your guys' opinion, the uh, Kraken reverse retros, retros and quotes, the Steelheads jerseys, this new Sounders kit, or the prospect of these Seattle Seahawks uh, retro jerseys that are coming out this season. I would say my personal preference would be the Seahawks retros. I really hope that that happens. It is happening. It is happening. It's okay. Official. It's official. Okay. So yeah, those are. Those are fun, just because it's nostalgic, and I I like the uh, old Seahawks colors. I like the new Seahawks colors more overall, but I think the the blue and silver looks pretty sharp. I think it looks pretty cool. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm definitely excited for the Seahawks retro jerseys. You know, the Kraken ones I actually do like. I think they look pretty sharp. They were just wearing them the other night when we were watching that game against the Bruins. However, uh, they're defeated in those jerseys right now. Yeah, that hurts. <laughs> so, but those are those are a good looking jersey but uh i don't know at the same time if the uh, kraken were going to do a retro jersey yeah you might as well do like some metropolitan jerseys with like the the christmas red and green yeah like like i get it like you're a brand new club so you know your air quote retro jersey basically is just a reimagining of the current jerseys you wear with like you know different stuff but ultimately I, like i think i think i'd be more excited much like i am for the seahawks is that they did a retro jersey that was truly retro and it much like i'm saying with the bruce lee jerseys like it's not tied to your colors yeah you know it's something completely different that's fun and the metropolitans you know wearing the white green and red sweaters like that would be more fun but if you like the krakens yeah the sounders did that the same thing too a couple years ago i mean it was probably almost a decade ago at this point but they brought back their OG retro jerseys, which were not, you know, not their current color scheme at all. But with the collars, yeah, exactly. With the collars and everything like it. And they look great. They're, and it's like it's nostalgic for all the old the old fans. And so you kind of bring in old in the in the new there and kind of bring them hand in hand. But yeah, I think the I think the Seahawks retros it will be tops on my list for sure. Boys, as much as I have enjoyed the kit and jersey and sweater conversation. Unfortunately, Russell Wilson's going to kill the vibe, and we have to dive into his saga with the latest report that came out that Russell Wilson wanted John Schneider and Pete Carroll fired during his last little bit with the Seattle Seahawks. Does this end Russell Wilson's legacy as a Seattle Seahawks? Like, is there any coming back? Like, Is this the final cherry on top? that just makes Russell the villain more than the hero that he was before he departed? I think, I don't think that it'll completely tear up, you know, ruin his legacy. Time heals all wounds. So I think there's going to be a time down the line when people will forget about some of this stuff. And and even if they don't forget about it, they'll still bring him back and he'll be a ring of honor player. He still brought us to a Super Bowl at the end of the day and won a, brought us to two Super Bowls and won a Super Bowl for us our very first one but man it's it's brutal <laughs> the guy just keeps fumbling, fumbling over himself now it's just it's ridiculous I, I i don't know why i don't know why he would want to fire pete and uh john other than i guess 
goes back to what we were talking about a couple weeks ago that he just has such a group of yes men around him that are telling him you need to they're not letting you cook they're they're not uh they're not letting you play to your full potential and the only way to do that is to get rid of them well i think that i think what i read about it is basically in russell's head Pete Carroll and John Schneider were hindering the team from progressing to move forward to win a potential, like to win another Super Bowl. And it was also hindering his individual success. Like it was slowing him down. I, I think the biggest thing when I go back to my original question, like, is this going to hinder his legacy? I think what people most like about any individual, whether it's a sports person or just your neighbor down the road, is that people like authentic people. They like people. They, they like people that are just themselves, that they're not trying to paint into like what they're supposed to look like. He portrays himself as like this good guy that like he's all about the team, keeps his nose down, no time to sleep. Like he's all about the team and nothing else. And, you know, you got to protect that. But then on the sidelines, he's just like continues to be kind of a dirtbag, but won't just outright just be it. I think if Russell was just who he was and said what he wanted. He came out on a press conference and said, listen, I have problems with the Seahawks and how things are working. I want a better offensive line. If they can't do this for me, then maybe we need to part ways. And these are the teams that I would look into. Probably still still wouldn't go well, but if he just said it himself, I think that people would respect it more, maybe be more on Team Russell. But the fact that he's like, oh, no, I, I love the Seahawks. I want to have my whole career here. But on the sidelines, I'm at my agent, like, throw out, like, what I actually want. It's just such a passive-aggressive approach, and it just keeps coming out. Like, even with this whole story, Russell Wilson tweets that, oh, no, I, Pete Carroll's a father figure to me, and John Snyder, he drafted me, and he believed in me. Like, I never – I don't think he outright said he never wanted – no, he did say that. He, he did, did say, say that, that yeah. he, he never requested them to be fired. But you can't trust the guy. You don't believe him. Yeah. And I think that's the worst part about him is that – you don't believe a word that he's actually saying. So when it comes to the charity and, you know, off the field issues with as far as his relationship with team management and even his uh, relationship with the fans, you don't believe the guy. You don't trust him. And I think that's the worst part of it because we embraced Marshawn Lynch, who at times was he was a hard pill to swallow. He was a guy that he at times wouldn't ride with the team. He would hold out for contract negotiations like he wasn't always the most outspoken guy, he would go to interviews and just run out the clock. Richard Sherman was a guy that constantly ran his mouth. Earl Thomas was flipping off Pete Carroll on the sideline. And we still embraced those guys because they were authentic. They were, they were themselves. You could accept that. So I think, so I think what you're saying there, which I think is really appropriate is that I think the biggest problem that people have with Russell Wilson, generally speaking, is that he's two faced, right? Like, yeah. We all, well, well, some people have issues with Richard Sherman, especially, but like any of those guys, is that at the end of the day, they were always authentic. Like they were boisterous. They could rub people the wrong way, but that's who they were. So when they rubbed you the wrong way, you should be able to recognize that and be like, well, yeah, that's how they are. Like Marshawn is who he is through and through, right? He's not changing up on you. You're just getting like kind of the unfiltered truth from him all the time. And if you don't like the truth, then you don't like Marshawn. And that's fine. And he's not going to be upset about it. Yeah. If you don't like what he has to say, he doesn't care. Russell is like, 
he's two-faced. He'll tell you in front of everybody, like, this is who I am. This is what I believe in. Like, rah, rah, rah. Like, Pete Carroll, John Schneider. Like, we love those guys. X, Y, Z. And then behind the scenes, he'll be doing something else. And so, you know, it's Russell Wilson's hunting season. And so it's tough. I, and I get that. But at the same time, really, I just like, and so I have, a, I have a couple of thoughts. And the first is on the, like, he wanted Pete Carroll and John Schneider fired. Is it like, I mean, we did say it before, like on one of our last ones, but it's like, I kind of said, is it like, that's not news to me. Like when he got traded, you know, I listened to enough sports radio. All the people that came on basically had already, after he, you know, it's always how it is, after he got traded, like, right, hindsight's 2020, is basically like the, the scene had already been set that it's either Pete and John or it's Russell. They can't coexist. So like this, this headline, like, is kind of a non-headline to me because it's like if you followed Ru the Russell Wilson saga and him getting traded, you should already know that because the way that everybody talked about it after it happened, that that's why he got traded. Is that from management down, they couldn't coexist. One had to go. A lot of people honestly wanted to see Pete Carroll fight. I was one of those people, kind of Russell Wilson hater, and I think Pete Carroll's pretty good, you know, and like I trust his vision, you know, that's a whole other topic, but somebody had to go. They couldn't coexist. So this story basically just seems like backwards affirmation that it's like, well, yeah, no shit. Like they didn't want to be married to get, you know, there was a divorce. Somebody had to move out of the house. Yeah. Who was it going to be? Clearly management picked Pete Carroll and John Schneider. Was that the right decision? Seems like it after 12 months now, basically. Now, will that be the right decision five years from now? Probably. But, but you know, <laughs> you know there, there's still time for things to change. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, put this Russell Wilson thing to bed because it's just – the guy's well, exhausting to keep talking about. It's just, we'll have something new to talk I'm about. I'm sure there'll be something <laughs> new in the next week or two about Russell Wilson that he's done next. Bobby Wagner news breaking out that he's been uh, he's going to be parting ways with the Rams. Are you guys interested in bringing him back to Seattle? Absolutely, yeah. At the what right. are they going to take to bring him back? You think? I don't know that it would be that much personally. I think that he's ten million, twelve million dollar one year deal, two years twenty million, something like that. I think he got a nice little chunk of change from the Rams for the year that he was there. He's still playing at a really high level. So I, I think that I would be definitely interested to bring him back. We we need a linebacker. We were talking about that last last week or the week before when we were talking about needs for the Seahawks. He is a he's a guy that could make a, a big impact, I think, for a year or two. Yeah. Um I'd be a little worried just because with him mutually parting ways with the Rams, I imagine he's gonna want to go back to a similar situation that like he got one good contract with in you. You probably don't want to sign a one-year contract. Like he's at that age, and I'm pretty sure he was all pro this last year. I'm sure he's going to want a long-term contract with decent guaranteed money. By long-term, I mean you know probably four years with high guaranteed money. I don't think he wants to sign a one-year deal. Yeah, that's probably the market again. But you never know because it just if other teams aren't willing to offer it. Offer that type of contract to them, then you know. Yeah, it's the nature of guys in their thirties don't get many big contracts anymore. And, and I, but 
but there's not that many guys that are all pro caliber linebackers that are sitting on the open market with he's gotta have at least two more good years left in him. Yeah, this rate probably has you could, in, I mean you could play. you could sign him on a four year deal and do exactly the Rams signed him on a four year deal too and front load the guaranteed money and it, after a year or two if when the big cap hits start then you cut him and you're back in the you know he basically gets the two-year deal or one-year deal out of them. So I think that he he knows our system. He knows, he, you know, he's familiar with everyone. I think it'd be a great fit to bring him back at the right price. Is it a fit that he wants, though? Because I think his big thing with the next team that he goes to, he wants to be with a Super Bowl contender. Are the Seahawks, are they there yet? Are they good enough for him to even consider coming back to Seattle, if that's what he's looking for, is a winning team? I think they need to sell him on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, th- I think the I think the the Seahawks. It, I think a lot's going to depend on the draft about where people are sitting on the Seahawks. But you, I don't know. You're a couple. You're a couple games away. That you're, you're a playoff team this last year. You've got a lot of young guys that are only getting better. You're they're a year a year more mature. So I would think I think a lot of the talking heads at least think that the Seahawks are one of the up and coming teams. So. You know, veteran veteran leader. He he'd step in and be the the leader of the team again. And you know, if you if he has faith in the young guys, he still trains with all these guys. Like he still comes to Seattle. He's still for here uh, Tracy Ford Sports. Like so, he's still out here training with these guys. I think he still has a house here. So he knows he knows who's here. So I think that if you if you go and have a good draft, you maybe you know you pick up a couple more big time pieces. You you never know. I think he's worth the money. I, I do. I do think it's going to be harder to sell him on coming back to Seattle because also there there was some problems. I feel like on the way out, meaning your memories, like basically like didn't even get really the courtesy call on the way out. You know, so maybe they've buried the hatchet since then. But I think especially if ten million is the number, I think he's definitely worth it. Especially the the way that linebacker room is shaping up right now. I think he's I think you got to make it a priority. Let's get somebody else. So we have one minute left uh, before we move on to the next segment. If he does not sign with Seattle, what's your guys' quick hot take prediction of where he goes next? I could could see a scenario where he goes to – I'm trying to think who needs – who needs defense help? That's a contender. Um, I mean, does he make a does he make a, an appearance with Russell Wilson again? Maybe I don't know. It it seems like I guess I think that could be a possibility. Denver's got a good defense. Maybe he he jumps in there, makes comes back with Russell Wilson. How about that? Uh, Kansas City. Why not? <laughs> yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe he'll take a home uh, hometown de- or bargain deal because they look like the team that's going to win the Super Bowl. So maybe he takes. Chomp change to go play there. And we'll be right back. All right, boys. The listeners have questions. I hope you guys have answers. So the first question I have for or listeners have for you guys, what's your favorite sports movie of all time, whether it's a fiction or nonfiction movie? What was your guys' favorite sports movie that you can think of? Ooh. 
There are so many good ones. <laughs> um, so one one of my one of my personal favorites for sure is one that I'm guessing most of you don't expect. Days of Thunder, <laughs> NASCAR, <laughs> NASCAR movie with Tom Cruise, uh, aka Cole Trickle. Great racing name, um, and you know it's just him being a being an edgy edgy racer, and he's he's like breaking all the rules, being the bad boy of NASCAR, and they're trying to like kind of reel him into to being a you know racing the right way. And I don't know, I kind of I, personally that's one of my favorites. Um, I've got a couple others, but I'll let Luke Luke go here. Yeah, I got a I got a few favorites. Probably say I'll go. So I got three that instantly come to mind. So I'll so go with those probably the like, like more, more casual, casual ones. ones. Probably, probably Durham. Durham. That, that, like, I mean, know. it's kind of more of a rom-com than a sports movie, but I think that that's why I'm putting it first is just because like, it's pretty like easy viewing and like, I mean, Tim Robbins, Duke Lelouch, like, come on. Like, and like, I love Field of Dreams, obviously. Yeah. If we're going like Kevin Costner kind of ties those together and That'll get you in your feels, but I don't know. Bull Durham is just like, I don't know. I, I like that kind of. Days of Thunder is kind of in the same vein. It's kind of rom com y, also. Yeah, but it's, it's like, it, but it's still more, yeah. like, kind of like fun, like AAA kind of version of sports as opposed to like the high intensity, like major level. Uh, if I throw a couple, couple other ones out there, it'd probably be uh, Blue Chips. Don't know if you're familiar. Featuring uh, Shaq and Penny Hardaway. And um, who's, uh, it's uh, Nick Nolte, I think is the coach. But, you know, ahead of its, well, I guess ahead of its time probably is the right uh, way to categorize it. But it's basically about the coach slash the university paying for the top basketball recruits to come to their school and play. Shaq and Penny being like the main ones. But, you know, still relevant today, especially like in the world of uh, NIL and stuff like that. So that's one. And then we'll throw one other one in. Uh, he Got Game, another basketball movie. Denzel, Ray Allen is Jesus Shuttlesworth, great name in uh, a <laughs> great name in movie history. So uh, I always like basketball movies growing up being basketball, even though we haven't talked much basketball yet. Uh, definitely a basketball guy. So growing up, the basketball movies were always my favorite and Blue Chips and He Got Game were definitely two of my favorites, but older, um, definitely for Major League, throw that one in there too. But On the Major League series, uh, in my personal opinion, Major League Two is the best of, the, of uh, that series, and I know Luke feels very differently. Major League, the original, is actually the best. No I, movie. I, I love I love Major League Two also. No movie that replaces Wesley Snipes with what Omar Epps. Omar Epps kills that role. It doesn't okay? get it doesn't get better when you remove Wesley Snipes. Awesome. <laughs> For some reason, uh, Major League Two has a place in, a special place in my heart. I'd also say The Sandlot has got to be one of my all-time favorites. I think I've watched that one a thousand times growing up. Just backyard baseball just kind of brings you back to the the good old days when we were uh, we were kids out on the on the cul-de-sac and uh, playing baseball on the you know from the from the front yard across the street. Like my my house that I grew up in, I think still has a 
has like the batter's box dug in permanently into the ground. Like I don't think dirt can or uh, grass can grow there because we spent so many hours playing playing ball there. I'm gonna chime in just for a second. Luke t- took two of my uh, two of my favorites, which was Major League and Bull Durham. But the third one I'll throw in was uh, Friday Night Lights. Uh, yeah, that, that was- hit all uh, hit all the fields for me back in the high school day when I was playing high school football. Yeah. Always wanted that state championship. Always wanted that that whole team. Yeah, that came out right at the right time too, when we were kind of in those middle school, high school days, where it was, you know, that was really, really um, what you wanted and what you were kind of striving for. So I agree with that. Friday Night Lights was definitely definitely one of those that kind of um, made, as a high school football player, made me want want to be, you know, be a champion. Also, I, I I can't have this list without mentioning Varsity Blues. That one also, that one also uh, was one that I watched quite a bit as a kid. A little more comedic, but also still in that same same realm, like underdog story, football, high school ball, like rom com. So I I definitely love that. All right, great question on that one. All right, next question. Which athlete do you admire most as a person? Which do you admire most for athleticism and personality? I don't admire any athlete because you don't you don't want to admire them too much because you're not going to be them and they'll just let you down. So there's my there's my thirty seconds of motivation for you. Which which one do I admire most? Which athlete? That's a that's a tough one. Well, Nigel thinks about it. I'll give him more serious answers. That uh, I always liked Hakeem Olajuwon. He's my favorite player growing up. Still my favorite basketball player. And obviously coming from Nigeria and never touching a basketball, and then coming to the United States, I read his little book as a kid, and it was always pretty inspiring. Just because you know, guy never seen a basketball hoop, you know, until he's 14 or 15 years old, and then he's arguably one of the well, not arguably. He's one of the greatest players that's ever played, so at least keep it short, but pretty inspiring story just because, yeah, I didn't even know what a basketball was until he was, you know, in his teens and didn't take him long to figure out what it was, so. I think the one who I admire the most, or at least, right now I don't know that I necessarily admire anyone, but I'd say one that kind of impacted me the most was probably Edgar Martinez. The just growing up and being into very into baseball in my younger years, I thought he was a, he was a good role model as a baseball player. He was great player, super humble, good teammate type, like career mariner. You know, like you know, stick stuck with the team. I thought he had a lot to uh, to look up to when I was growing up, for sure. So I'd say that's who who I admired most. I'll say uh, Michael Jordan. I know that's low hanging fruit, but watch the Last Dance if you haven't already seen it, which I'm sure everyone has. But if you haven't, that explains my answer why. All right, next question: Based on your athletic skill in your prime, which sport could you have gotten the closest to going pro with? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> oh yeah, right? Yeah. You mean no now? Limit. Yeah. There's no limit. Yeah. Um, which skill would would give me give me the closest? I guess I will say. Oh man, which skill? I guess I'll say my. I'll say football because of my. Actually, no. I'm going to say baseball. I'm switching on that. I'll get. I'll give both though. Baseball, I'd say, was the closest. I was uh, I was very good at blocking as a catcher. Like, balls in the dirt, 
I I think I think all any catcher that I or it's any, because you're low to the earth. Exactly, and this, and this goes exactly. And this also goes to my football point too, is a little bit. But I think any pitcher that ever whatever the pitch was, I was gonna I was gonna make I was a backstop. So I I had a lot of confidence in that. Now the uh, the throw the uh, the arm strength back down to second base <laughs> may not have been there. And then football wise, I'd say because I was low to the earth, low leverage. I was. Because I'm smaller than a lot of the guys, and I was good at getting low pad levels and and having better technique than than athleticism, and uh, so that that's what kind of made me a decent football player. But I never had the size for that, regardless. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not disillusioned <laughs> about my athletic abilities. So I guess if I was forced to choose an answer, I guess I'd say probably golf or volleyball. I don't have nearly the skill level to play either one of them, but at least for golf, you know, your height and weight isn't really, and your speed obviously, isn't uh, as much of a determining factor. Now I definitely don't have the skill level to do it, but maybe if you built up into it, that would be a different story. Maybe volleyball just because you could always play a libero, like, you know, a 5'11 libero isn't out of the question and definitely played a lot more volleyball now in my life that maybe if I played at a younger age that the skill level would be a bit higher and you know never going to be a presence at the net but could be a back row player but I'll be honest none I'm not I don't have any false false sense of superiority when it comes to sports I know what I am <laughs> This is an easy question for me. Obviously, baseball, because I am a five-tool player, and I'm going to keep playing because until they stop scouting, I'm not stopping playing, okay? <laughs> Still waiting for that call-up. All right, next question. Which Olympic sport would you want to compete in, given the necessary training? Would I want to compete in? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I was just jump, I guess I'll just parlay that into volleyball again. Great Olympic sport. I, I Mostly just because I love volleyball, so... I think that'd be fun. Obviously, well above my skill level at this point, but I don't want to answer the same thing. But if it was with my current abilities, it'd probably be volleyball. Go be a setter. I think that'd be a possibility. You don't need to be that tall to be a setter. But to change it up for a fun one here, I'll say fencing. I think uh, I think fencing would be an interesting sport. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty quick in short distances. I'm deceptive, deceptively athletic in. Uh, in short spurts, so maybe uh, maybe I could like pick up on some fencing. Although I'm a, I'm a bigger target, so I don't I don't know how that, how that would work. But uh, but maybe maybe I could. Uh, and I don't really have long arms to go uh, attack a person. But I, I think it'd be a fun sport to uh, to pick up and and uh, and do. All right, last question. And this listener may not have uh, completely paid attention to episode one because we kind of dove into this already, but we'll, we'll end it on the terms of, uh, of getting that answer out there again. Who are the best rookies to look out for for the twenty or 2023 NFL draft? Well, just overall best rookies. I, I How about we just choose one rookie to look out for this year? Okay. I, one I would say, it would, which we talked about, is AR-15. I think he's going to be uh, Anthony Richardson. I think he's going to be going to be a, the quarterback that kind of shoots up everyone's boards. And I already said that in the first episode, so I don't really want to. I don't really want to go with that one. Um, but that's who I'll say is number one. I'll say I'll say um, 
What's it, Will Anderson, the the guy from Bama, the the end. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be probably the best player that comes out of this draft. I think he's just gonna be a problem on the D end, and I hope that he somehow ends up being a Seahawk because I think that guy's gonna be the best player. I yeah, we talked about a few rookies in the first one, so I'll avoid those. Obviously, Bijan Robinson is a premier rookie that will be an impact day one. But throw a couple other names out there. I don't think he's going to go under the radar come draft day, but he didn't play at all this last year. But Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver at Ohio State. That guy will probably be a day one wide receiver contributor. And then Jordan Addison as well, probably wide receiver from USC. Um, won the Blitnikoff as a junior from, at Pittsburgh and then transferred to USC. So at least also like in terms of fantasy, especially I'd say that those are a couple guys that probably, they'll probably go first round. And if they don't go first round, they'll go early second round. But I would think that especially given a good landing spot in the draft, if they find their way onto a good team, then those would be a couple guys that I'd probably think will quickly become household names. I got one more just for fun here. I can't think of his first name off the top of my head right now, but Charbonnet. Uh, from UCLA running back. I think he's going to be a guy that I don't know how how many miles he's got left on him because he was used pretty heavily. But I think when he I think when he gets into the league, he's going to be pretty impactful player. And I'll say I'll go DTR too from UCLA. Dorian Thompson Robinson has another one that I think is going to be a probably a second or third round quarterback pick. But he's he's pretty electric. Some some against the Huskies a few times. I think he's. I think he's got a lot of talent and can be a can be a problem in the league. Yeah, I don't know if he'll be a day one starter. No, he may not, but, but I think he's got I think he's got kind of that he's got that athleticism, but I think he's 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 a gamer. So I think if he can he can find he might not be there be a day one starter, but I think he can find his way in the league somewhere. Yeah, in that in that same vein, I'd say another guy the Seahawks might have on their draft board. Uh, especially if they don't go quarterback early. I have no idea what his draft stock is going to look like come draft day, but uh, Hendon Hooker, quarterback out of Tennessee. Yep, that's a great great one. I think he's got some big-time potential. Again, it'll come down to landing spot. You find yourself in a place where you could really thrive, but it's got a lot of tools. I think if the Seahawks don't want to go in on a quarterback early and Hendon Hooker finds himself with a late second, third round type draft grade. I think that the Seahawks should be all in on him, especially especially if you bring Geno back. Like let Hendon Hooker come in. He's coming off an injury, let him rehab. I think Hendon Hooker's another guy that I would be pretty, pretty bullish on. All right, boys. Well, that's a wrap for episode three for all the listeners. Thank you for listening. Keep listening, please. Keep following us on social media and uh, send those questions to us. It's a fun little segment at the end of the show, so we appreciate the questions. Peace out, y'all. That's a wrap. See you.